1: This podcast is brought to you by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means that you can write and paint, write and design, and write and make a film. You can also write and write. Look for their MFA faculty member Tom Barbash's novel, The Dakota Winters, out from Echo, and their alum, Adam Nemet, and podcast favorites, We Can Save Us All, out now from Unnamed Press. For more information, open an internet browser and type in www.cca.edu/slash writing MFA. You can talk
2: about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life. Be real! Welcome one and all to Be Real on the Playlist Podcast Network. It is your genre-hopping, movie-reviewing, and reappraising podcast. As always, we're brought to you by California College of the Arts' Writing MFA program. Very thankful for that. And check out all the other wonderful shows on the playlist. But today, we are here for a terrific episode to uh, celebrate the uh, life and legacy of uh, one John Singleton who passed away uh, at the end of April and as this is an essentials episode we're going to talk about his work. Um, I've said too much I need to introduce myself and us. I'm Chance Solem And I'm Noah Ballard. And joining us a special guest today uh, an author a podcaster Tochi Onyabuchi. Welcome to the show sir.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: This is this is quite the honor.
3: This is quite the honor
2: we're the ones who are honored. Um, so <laughs> we're going to talk about, we're going to focus on three Singleton movies today. Uh, Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, and Rosewood. I'm happy to touch on others. I'm happy to uh, to stand for others. Um, but Tochi, let's talk about kind of why you're here and maybe Noah, you can draw this connection. Did you study John Singleton during film school?
3: So yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I... Growing up in an immigrant household, I was always like one step removed from like just African American culture, and so our house was very like Nigerian American, but not necessarily like Black American. So I was late to a lot of things, a lot of just like typical cultural markers of being an African American in like the 80s and 90s, and you know things like Martin, you know, uh, In Living Color, like the, you know that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the Arsenio Hall show. And one of those things was Boys in the Hood. Mm. And so it wasn't until film school that I actually saw Boys in the Hood for the very first time. And what was interesting about that was by then I had ingested all this, like, knowledge and and. and sort of craft talk about storytelling and that was the context in which i was watching that movie that i watched boys in the hood and i saw in doughboy in particular a figure like just as tragic if not more tragic than hamlet
2: mm. like
3: that was the immediate like yeah. point of comparison in my mind so not only was it this incredible sort of treatise on the sort of the the urban black experience for a lot of black males it was also just this like masterclass in dramatic narrative
1: Hmm. That's amazing, well, maybe Tochi, do you feel like you can give us a little like singleton background here, like a little bit of the bio as familiar as you are?
2: I was curious too if we had like overarching singleton like theories or just like his signatures as a director before we got into the three films,
3: certainly, I think the you know he was he was you know born in in l a so like that is very much his you know, in much the way that, that Mississippi was for Faulkner, like L.A. is for Singleton, or was for Singleton. Um, he was in USC's filmic writing program, studied under Margaret Merring. Um, and that is very much the the well that he draws from with regards to a lot of, if not the the specifics of his movies, you know, geographically or whatnot, then at least the the themes, right? And he's mm-hmm. done, you know, stuff beyond this. He's, you know, he did an adaptation of... Of Shaft, you know, he's directed episodes of Empire, an American crime story. You know, he was, I believe, a a co creator of an FX show. uh, I want to say uh, Snowfall. Snowfall, Snowfall. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's very much his thing, I think, is he's very much uh, concerned with depictions of black life, particularly within the inner city, right? Mm -hmm. And in a very sort of comprehensive way, too. And it's interesting, too, watching him sort of navigate that because there are times where it does get kind of, like, respectability politics, you know, especially if you're watching, like, movies like Baby Boy and whatnot, which is sort of like, you know, oh, like, there's this pathology of these, like, young black men running around, like, having kids and not caring for them. But it's at the same time, it's, it's very much... Like, it gets into the sort of interiority of a lot of those characters. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I think all these movies are definitely... I mean, he wrote two of them. They're both, like, very much something that needs to be said, you know, about a certain... And there's a lot of overlapping, both in casting and in sort of these choices of these archetypal figures. We'll get into that with Mm -hmm. each specific movie. Um, But it's interesting how... You cannot accuse any of these three movies, at least, of not having politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. So
2: let's dive into Boys in the Hood, shall we? Uh, which is his first movie, 1991. Um, he became, in in that year, the, the youngest person and the first uh, black director ever nominated in the Best Director category at the Oscars. Um, although I was thinking about that. That, of course, means that Spike Lee did not receive a nom two years earlier, which... Uh, Don't care for that, but um, but yeah, can still consider it. I think uh, maybe the is it is it fair to say probably the first movie mentioned when you say John Singleton?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And like you know, when when these sort of in memoriam pieces came out and whatnot, that was you know by a long shot the movie that was most talked about.
2: It really has like the verve of a first
1: movie too. I felt like he de- he like famously had said that because they shot the movie in order you could see him growing as a filmmaker like as the movie goes uh-huh. which is amazing to me because it's true just like the ambition of each shot you know going from like sort of handheld kind of close up to more artful things you know by the time they get to like the barbecue or even like the um at the end with the ca- several car chases and shootouts like he's gr- you can see him figure out how to make a movie
2: so the the background here is this this is a movie that takes place on two timelines though i have to say i found the first one 1984 so sort of um, uh, patient and naturalistic That I wasn't even sure a time jump was coming um, Having never yeah. seen the movie before I was like maybe Ice Cube and Cuba Gooding will just show up In these kids lives But no that's not what <laughs> happens We start with the, the main cast um, of, of Trey and Doughboy and Ricky um, As 10 year olds and uh there's a really great scene with with Trey in in school and he's sort of like asked to teach the class and he uh he gets a, gets in a fight um and then his mom played by Angela Bassett is like you signed a contract with me Trey that if you acted out again you would go live with your father Furious Styles played uh iconically by Lawrence Fishburne um and so uh Trey has to go live um in South Central with uh with furious and uh they bond a little bit and you sort of like see the lives of these kids and you get a glimpse at like the 16 year olds they might become who sort of like steal their football and they get kind of a a glimpse at at what that that danger and that antagonism could look like uh and then there's like a really sort of halcyon fishing trip and then we jump forward in time to a barbecue where they're all i think maybe 17 18 um yeah seniors in high school um and you get a sense that uh that Trey has taken a lot of Furious' teachings to heart. He's now played by Cuba Gooding. Uh, Morris Chestnut is a football star who's trying to get into USC. Um, uh, that's Ricky. And then, uh, and then Ice Cube plays, plays Doughboy, who's, who's been in and out of jail, I believe. Uh, and they all kind of come back together in this scene. And then we sort of see their lives unfold. It's not a movie that's like super, super heavy on plot, which is one of the things that's like great about it. It's very relaxed. Yeah. Um, it's a slice of life As you said, Like he really wants to communicate something about black life At this time, in this place
0: Why is it that there's a gun shop On almost every corner in this community? Why? Yeah. Right For the same reason that there's a liquor store On almost every corner in the black community Why? They want us to kill ourselves We got a problem here? We got a problem here? Can so we have one night where there ain't no fight Nobody gets shot? No,
3: mama's boy <clears throat> Something wrong? something wrong yet it's just too bad you don't know what it is
1: and tochi i don't know if you know this but like one of chance's favorite things when it comes to movies of this nature is is the quality of the hang and it's very good so <laughs> let's hang. talk about the hang just like yeah just people hanging out trading barbs and that's like uh, what most of this movie yeah Does it's really it- what it is
2: does it feel real? Is it fun? Um, and when people are just chopping it up on the porch, like, this mm-hmm. movie's tremendous.
3: Yeah. No, absolutely. It really, really, really excels at that. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, and I think it's, it's interesting, too, because its biggest challenge is transitioning from the lexicon of children to the lexicon of young men. And I think it does that in a way that's both funny because it shows that they're both like kind of the same conversations they've been having for Mm -hmm. seven years Mm -hmm. with like just different ways of saying things. And the positions, you know, maybe they've changed slightly depending on life experience, but they're mostly the same. But then just the circumstances around, you know, this adult life are far more traumatic. Mm-hmm. or maybe you just don't notice it as much in the child's one but i'm saying that and now i'm remembering that they like interact with a dead body briefly
3: yeah it's that it's that very iconic line is you want to see a dead body like even kendrick on that on that push T song nostalgia i think he starts out with i think he starts his verse with you want to see a dead body mm. direct call out to boys in the hood yeah
2: what are the uh what are the standout performances here? They're all really good.
3: Can we can we start there? Oh man, Doughboy man, Doughboy. Yeah, like, you're all about just... Ice Cube in this. <laughs> yeah, he it's just it's it's so like iconic. It just it just felt it felt it felt so big, but at the same time it felt supernatural, right? Like yeah. it felt right. it felt just like he was just like being right. It was one of those naturalistic performances, right? Where you know it's it's like the type of thing where. You know, they hire actors off, you know, a director will hire an actor off the street or whatever, like to get that sort of authenticity or whatever. There was that sort of verite about it. At the same time, it's infused with such like narrative tragedy. I just can't like I cannot get over that.
1: It's an interesting choice, too. And like maybe something to be said about John Singleton's like overall sensibility. That he chooses to focus really on Trey and not Doughboy as the yeah. protagonist of the movie, because ultimately it does have that like sort of morality that we can talk about as we like go towards rating this movie. but I think I agree with you that, in fact, the more interesting narrative and the more interesting maybe movie would be looking at. Just the Doughboy character and having Trey as more of the, you know, you could go this way, like your brother, who's the football star this way, mm-hmm. like your neighbor who do, does this. But like, what do you, because the only
3: person who makes the real choice is Doughboy. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I, I actually really appreciate having the Doughboy character sort of on the periphery because mm-hmm. it reinforces this, this feeling of, I know that guy. Right. Like there's, you know, you're watching this movie and instantly you're thinking of that, that dude, you know, who is exactly in the Doughboy situation. Right. So it's not like he just happens to be the one that mom
1: hits, even if it was his brother who did the thing.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like we all know a Doughboy and it's like, it's he doesn't deserve it, but he kind of does. Exactly. So I think I like I I really, really, really like as compelling as his story would be, you know, as its own sort of vertebrae to a narrative. I do really like having him sort of like in the corner of your vision and being like, you know, he's 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 someone I know. He's Mm -hmm. not me. He's someone I know. Well, still totally
2: not being a caricature, too. I mean, he's st- so yeah.
3: real. Like that scene where Trey
2: ultimately gets out of the car that night um, instead of going after the people who killed Ricky is like nothing needed to be said. There, there are such mm-hmm. real people that like, yes, I will pull over the car. I know why you have to get out. And, you know, why I'm not going to get out of the car.
1: That's such a powerful moment like, that they don't say anything really about motivation, especially with the I mean, Lawrence Fishburne in this is incredible. Uh, Unbelievable so good and like such a good physical performance too, showing just like what seven years of like living with that kind of stress every day, like does to a human body. True. Like, I mean, he's no older. And in fact, he's like only like eight years older than, um, his son, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Which is such a funny casting thing. Uh, But yeah, he's great, and then he gives this impassioned monologue, and then there's something, yeah, almost Shakespearean about the fact they have to say like almost nothing in the next scene, just because everything's sort of been put out there.
3: You bad, you gotta shoot somebody now. Well yeah, I am.
0: Come on, shoot me. You bad, right? Look, I'm sorry about your friend. My heart goes out to his mother and his family, but that's their problem, Trey. You my son. You my problem. I want you to give me the gun. Oh, I see. You want to end up like little Chris in a wheelchair, huh? Right? No, no. You want to end up like Doughboy, huh? Give me the motherfucking gun, Trey.
3: It's a very sort of interesting and poignant point you you bring up about this stress of living in or growing up in certain environments, right? So you think about think about somebody like John Singleton, right? And he like he grew up, you know. I would say, let's see, when when was he born? He was he was born nineteen sixty eight, right? So he's like coming of age in. The like seven, like war on drugs seventies and the the eighties with the you know Reaganomics, like all of that. And he's in LA during that time. Right. Well it's snowfall time too. It's uh yeah. it's like the height of the crack in its epic. At least for myself being the generation like after that, you know, looking up at, you know, big brothers and father figures and whatnot who who lived through that. You know, it's it's super young to die at fifty. At the same time, I imagine a lot of those people who are contemporaries of somebody like John Singleton, you know, will look at the, the age that he that he passed away at and be like, I, I get it. Like this is, you know, this is what happens. Yeah.
1: Well, there's something so interesting too about this movie because it surprised me to read that. This movie is, of course, a year before Rodney King. Right. Yeah. So this dude is almost screaming Rodney King before that even goes down. And yep. I think part of the fact, and we'll get into poetic justice in a second, but part of that movie is almost like this confusion of how he could have made a movie before Rodney King. You know, sort of getting back into this. Because most of that was shot like, and you can see in the background still fresh carnage from those riots which is incredible. But it's it's a, he's really commenting on something that hasn't been witnessed before, which is the state of race relations in urban Los Angeles.
2: And is still able to communicate which of course we 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 know is true that like but also this is just this is just life. Like even in Rosewood with this terrible like uh, tragedy fueled by racial hatred happening like life is still like going on during it and right mm-hmm. before it and that's the same thing that's happening In this movie, I mean, I I love that you, Tochi, were able to see sort of like the the mythic through lines in here, but I just, I love that there's very little like manufactured drama in this movie, like scene to scene. I was thinking about that. There's a scene where Ricky sits down for the SAT, right? And he's got to get a 710 or over a 700 to get into USC. And I was fully expecting like this movie to like, are we going to get some kind of cheating thing? Like what's going to happen in the scene? And the whole point of that scene is just a look that Cuba Gooding gives his friend. Um, mm-hmm. to encourage him and and get him through, and the to let that breathe is so awesome as a filmmaker, yeah. right,
1: yeah, and what's sort of nice about this movie, too, that maybe I wasn't expecting just because of its reputation is the fact that it really doesn't have that much violence in it, yeah, I guess I was expecting it to be less sort of charming in the first two thirds, almost three quarters of it. Just getting to know these characters in a way that it makes the last act so tragic because it's not like, you know, it hasn't certainly been like Game of Thrones or anything Mm -hmm. where like characters are dropping left and right and you can't really hold on to anybody. Like these are guys that like you really, you've seen their whole lives. You've seen the trajectory and how much, and I guess this is Singleton's point, of a fucking waste it is when these guys aren't allowed to, like, reach that climax of their own potential.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, the, the issue of body count, because I remember, like, when I was younger, hearing this movie and also hearing it invoked in the same breath as movies like Paid in Full or Kill a Season or Belly, like these hood movies, right, with these really epic, like, you know, shootout. It was just, like, gang life, right? Or it was just, like, hustler life, right? And They were always starring these rappers and whatnot. And, you know, slight digression, I will say the opening two minutes of Belly are like some of the most stunning opening two minutes I've ever seen in a film ever. Anyway, um, it, so it was interesting because I think I also came into Boys in the Hood with that expectation. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to watch somebody get beat down. I'm going to have to watch somebody get stomped out. Like, there's going to be at least one, like, at least two drive by. Like, it's going to be a hood movie, right? right. It was going to no, be the
1: rosewood of urban Los
3: Angeles. <laughs> I remember one of the most astounding things about Boys in the Hood was that like was how young Singleton was when he when he made it. And like when he got nominated for best director and best original screenplay for this movie. I was like what on earth because I was like several years older than him at that point when I watched the movie and I was like are you kidding me? Which is what 23 yeah, he was like 20. Oh, he was like gosh. 23 years old. <laughs> That's super
1: annoying. We're past it. One of the biggest things I think, though, we're forgetting about this movie is like what the movie would then slap us in the face uh for forgetting is like the wonderful women. Yeah. Like Tyra Farrell, especially as the mom of both uh of Doughboy and Ricky, uh is so fabulous because she has this sort of tough exterior. And you think that she maybe is sort of an anti-hero, but by the end of it, there's such an emotional change in her because you could tell like it was all for a purpose. It was to Mm -hmm. get this kid into whatever level his football skills would take him to try to get him out of that life. And her failure to do so is just so crushing. It's, I think, one of the better performances in the movie.
2: It's true. I I mean, I would equally shout out the probably my favorite scene in the whole thing is where uh, Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne have coffee
1: because yeah. oh my god, so good. Yeah. That's a, that's a scene
2: where you can like feel a you know a blow up between exes who've grown apart in every way coming right, and you're just like this is going to be a throwdown in what is a very interesting, very white space compared to like what el- the other things we've seen in the movie, and it ends up. It's, it's so representative of like How good the writing is Cause like you really think The movie's gonna do one thing As a dramatic beat And then the, it just ends up With her being like Yeah you're proud of yourself Cause you did a good thing And you took in your son But it's not something That women don't do every day And I think the climactic line Of that is um, So you're cute But you're not special And he kind of just like <laughs> Chews on that And then the scene is over It's tremendous
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah And of course Early performances From both Regina King And Nia Long Who are both great yeah. Right uh, Yes um should we rate this movie? Well yeah. Well let's Tochi I don't know if you've if you're familiar with our rating system, but two gradients, uh the first so we do it good or bad, good or bad. So the first mm-hmm. good or bad is related to like, is the movie well made? Is it technically proficient? Does it have, you know, whatever acts structure? Does it does it feel like a good movie? And then the second one is was it enjoyable to watch? Would you just like throw it on? for fun um
3: this week's gonna be challenging i'm not gonna lie yeah right
1: yeah Uh, it's
3: yeah so i think i think the first gradient at least for me is an easy good like in fantastically made you know in terms of you know how it's filmed the the writing is just incredibly deft the acting performance is tremendous all of that if this were on tv i don't know that i would like keep the channel on not because it's not like compelling viewing but because i just might not be in that mood yeah it's not like it's not like you know man on fire or den of thieves or whatever which like you know when those come on like showtime or like tbs or something like that you're like oh yeah (laughs) no i i should sit down and watch this no it's like it's the type of movie that like you know it it's it compels it makes you feel it makes you think and and i'm not always in the mood for that so so i don't i don't know
2: i'd give it a good good i mean i think that okay i i can see where i might be a little like wary of the uh you know the the very emotional sad ending <laughs> yeah. um yeah. but i feel like the journey there's enough
1: good hang yeah.
2: to really carry it um and yeah <laughs> good the first, hang yeah the first one isn't easy i'm i I loved this movie i'm gonna give it a good, yeah. good for sure
1: Yeah, I mean, this movie to me is like an as good if not better stand by me sort of story that I think if I like caught it, you know, 10 minutes in or something on cable, I'd be like, ooh, Boys in the Hood and watch (laughs) it again because there's definitely more to unpack than like we were able to get into in this amount of time. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to agree with Chance that I think it's a good good. Cool. All
2: right. Should we talk about Poetic Justice, the sophomore movie? Let's talk about the sophomore slump. Let's
1: do it. No! Coming out swinging. Not to tip my hand too much, but like any great artist, the sophomore slump is a thing for a reason. I have Yeah, the the second album's
3: always tougher to pull off than the first.
0: Her name is Justice.
3: The
0: reason why I love you, if I was in the county jail, sent me all them nice poems. To escape the violence of the streets. She needed the poetry in her heart. You've got to move on. There's another man out there somewhere. His name is Lucky. What y'all niggas doing? Looking for some
3: buses to Jack.
0: To face the madness around him. All he had was the music in his soul. Fate brought them together. This is Justice, Justice, this is Lucky. And you already know Chicago. What's up, baby? Baby. Anger kept them apart. I'm a black woman, okay? I deserve respect. Walk your ass home! But for both of them... Girl, you know he tripping because he like you. The road ahead was the only way to leave the pain behind.
2: I heard from a today, and she said you were... So, maybe we could get into it via this. I feel like this movie... In the absence of what maybe went down a little easier as like autobiography or influenced by some things from Singleton's autobiography, this movie is immediately trying to enter conversation with other Hollywood genres: classic romances, rom-coms, fairy tales. The title card says "Once Upon a Time," um, like Preston Sturgess-y road trip movies. Um, and but it's still is it also attempting that very grounded similar setting characters in similar places in their lives to boys in the hood um whether it has that harmony i don't know but there is like most sophomore efforts there there might be looked at one way more ambition here maybe
3: what do we think yeah i think i think you get at one of the i guess you could call it principal flaws of this movie is that it pull it I think there's a way that you can combine all of the aforementioned elements into a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's represented by poetic justice. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it would be very hard to do. Um, exactly. It would. It would be like a like. I think the person who would be able to pull that off would be like the twelfth Imam, which is to say that like we would all be a long time dead before that person comes <laughs> along. Um, I will say though, I think like similar to a lot of Singleton's other efforts, you know, what this may lack in quality, it more than makes up for with cultural capital, right? And what I'm thinking of in particular is the movie poster of Janet Jackson with box braids. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Like, that. that is such an iconic image. And it's interesting, too, because I think Singleton got asked about, um, like, whose idea it was to to have the to have Janet Jackson wear those those box braids, and you know he said that it was it was a collabo between him um, uh, Janet and their dance choreographer Fatima Robinson uh because they had watched michael jackson's remember the time video oh, which singleton had directed uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so he brought he brought um I I believe it was... He brought Fatima and a couple of the other dancers over to, like, hang with Janet. They all became friends. And then they, like, out of that, the conversation about Janet's hair happened. So, like, that, like, something like that, I think, is huge. And, like, even though that's not something that's reflected in the quality of the movie... Yeah, I was going to say,
1: like, the the effort and care you put into
3: saying all that. (laughs) It, like, it it says absolutely nothing about the quality of the movie, but I do think it's very interesting in in demonstrating the circularity of cultural sort of symbiosis that goes on with Singleton and his, like, work.
2: Yeah. And it's reflected in some of the casting in this movie, too. Like, Q-Tip plays your boyfriend in the beginning. Just, like, the cultural moment yeah. and the uh, you know inclusion of, of musicians and just like hip-hop culture in general in this movie is like pretty noteworthy and is something you would not see even like five years later probably. Yeah. With this same, I mean, I say,
1: it. and please disagree <laughs> with me, but the other famous casting in this of Tupac Shakur, I have to say he is no Ice Cube though if you're going for musicians turned actors yeah no he's definite.
3: <laughs> i think it's interesting i feel lightning like lightning
1: did not strike twice
3: no i feel like tupac's acting career is more a sort of at least for me personally strikes me more as a curiosity than like wow he really like did that you know and i feel like that's on that's on very very intense display with poetic justice
2: the charisma is there, but channeling that yeah. into what we would call a perform, it, the charisma is almost uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes he is yeah. so mad at justice with like very real like Tupac anger, the weight of the world. Yep. That it's like it's hard to watch almost.
3: Yeah. Oh
1: it's, yeah. It's borderline sort of abusive in so much that it doesn't make him a particularly sympathetic leading man. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know who I found A more sympathetic character though Was Billy Zane Playing that movie <laughs> Within a movie character Who like doesn't understand Why this person Who he's pretty sure Isn't a hooker Is like just downing red wine It's Laurie Petty is, uh, is the other actor Is that the, the sister movie. from uh, uh, League, League of the Yep, Yeah that's right
2: <laughs> Yeah that's such an interesting choice And again goes back to this movie wanting to let you know from the outset, like we have seen movies, we are among movies and we are a movie. Yes.
1: Yes. Right, But it, it, it's a movie that I think has too much money. Is that safe to say? Like that is such an mm. unnecessary for what is otherwise a scene that has nothing to do with what movie is on screen. It's this very violent prologue uh, of the fusion of, Janet Jackson's character and her first sexual experience ending in bloody murder. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, Billy Zane doesn't need to be in that <laughs> prologue, like being in a fake <laughs> movie that John Singleton are also made just to project onto the screen.
2: It's yep. curious. What do we make of the character <laughs> of justice?
1: This movie is named after her, but she's not even like the top two people who are the most interesting in this movie. Mm. Yeah. Or at least the movie doesn't... I I don't know what her thing is. Like, is she's a poet, but then she decides to not go to college because of something, and then that's... uh, Does she change? Does she... What happens?
2: (laughs) I don't know if you could speak to this, Tochi. In a screenwriting sense, there's an interesting move in this movie that's very different than Boys in the Hood, which is, like, the emotional climax of that movie, that beach scene, up when they're near Mm -hmm. the bay, is kind of like... She finally tells us what her deal is... But we're like 75 minutes in the story of her grandmother, the story of her name. Um, But that's much different than like being on the ground with kids and then seeing them grow into adults. It's an interesting sort of flourish. I don't know if it works.
3: Yeah. No, it's like um, I see. And it's funny because I see it all. I see that all the time in like prose fiction. Mm -hmm. Right. Where there will be this like revelation that supposedly explains it all at the end or like towards the end or what have you, you know, and sometimes it can take the form of like a monologue and it's like, Oh, everything just like came together. I don't know that that works in film. And like, I don't, I hesitate to say that like the broad sweeping generalization, because I'm sure if I really thought about it, I could come up with a couple examples of where that sort of thing has been done to good effect. But I don't like, I don't think it works here because the movies about her, but at the same time, just like Noah said, she's not the most interesting person in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Who is? Right. Who do we think is? Is it Regina oh, King? Man. Is it
1: Isha? I think Regina King is the most interesting. Yeah. She's like clearly struggling with not only her sexuality, but uh, an alcohol problem that is, of course, treating the fact that both these two movies, just every 30 seconds a helicopter goes by with its spotlight on. Right, yeah. So it's just people dealing with PTSD here, and she's chosen to deal with it through drinking. And I think she gives a pretty compelling performance where it feels like she first has the answer for Janet Jackson to like get out of this headspace that's clearly holding her back. But then that, by the end, turns out to be a lie.
2: Her performance stands out, and I, I, I don't know if it's just in contrast to to janet and tupac but it, it, it is odd for sort of like she's the comic relief but she's also like the deepest character and she's mm. also in some ways you think for most of that road trip the only one who's kind of getting what she wants out of this um i mean i think regina king is great she's great in everything oh yeah um, but she yeah. oh yeah she really stands out here maybe because there's oddly like more dimensionality to this secondary character than the than the first one. Than the uh, right.
3: I mean yeah I, I can I can relate as a writer like having more interesting secondary characters than protagonists. So that's a very relatable that's a very relatable, I guess, uh position to be in. Where does that come um, from
2: that that problem?
3: You know what's interesting? I like I don't know if there's some deeper sort of psychological dynamic at work when you know, a character in the periphery because they're not in the spotlight and because they're like, you're not obligated to completely like fill them in. They just sort of fill themselves in, Mm. so to speak. So they're like, they can be more laden with ambiguities than this character that you're completely, you know, that that's supposed to be as in the spotlight as possible. In your story, I I, I guess, I mean, that's just like a a hypothesis that I'm throwing out there. But yeah, like I've seen it, I've seen it on multiple occasions where, like, I've watched a movie and been like, okay, the person who has like second or third billing in this movie is like really the most interesting person sure. in this movie. Like they're the most interesting character. They're the one this movie should have been about, you know? It's I want to see
1: the movie yeah. about the two barbers who have clearly <laughs> this feud
3: going on
1: that we know nothing about really. Yep. And they're like constantly getting phone calls that are never explained.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that, that very much reminded me of, like, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Certainly. <laughs> he is very
1: Shakespearean uh, in his sensibilities. But yeah, this movie really doesn't have much of a script. It definitely has yeah. two famous people, not necessarily mm-hmm. actors, and access to a postal van. And <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be what they had.
2: Yeah. If it had been just a road trip movie, I think that could have been really cool. I mean, because you obviously it was just
1: one trip to Oakland, yeah, or whatever they had to do. Yeah, you have like you know, they are versions of
2: like Homeric stop offs and this sort of like ideal, like idealized black family reunion where they even say there's like wow,
1: there's I love when they crash the reunion. That's incredible. It's great. (laughs) And Maya Angelou's there,
2: and we should say that she was the author of the the poetry you hear Mm -hmm. um, Janet narrating through the movie, um, which is, you know makes it good but then you're like i'm justice r- wrote furative size she wrote that
1: <laughs> i don't know it's funny i don't know movies with people reading poetry as witnessed by the movie patterson is an inherently boring <laughs> oh, thing to do you killing me i'm, di- I'm slain um,
2: <laughs> so where do we stand where, where do we want to rate poetic justice you guys
1: It was Toshi went first So I'll say this time That poetic justice Is a bad bad I would
2: probably have to agree I think that I think that It's really weirdly Unlike Boys in the Hood There's like a failure of imagination About like what people will do In a conversation As it turns bad And this movie's just full of people Kind of going for the jugular Of each other In really like unambiguous Kind of ugly ways that then, right. because of the, because of its aspirations to be a romance movie, it then just sort of sweeps aside at the end. Where I think Tupac, literally says, "You're, but you forgive me, right?" And almost like answers his own question. It's like, "Yes, we are done. We are good here." Um, <laughs> I just wasn't buying, unfortunately. So probably yeah. It has bad. all
1: like the weird quirks and maybe blemishes shall we say of boys in the hood without the charm and like the underlying interesting story about someone coming of age yeah tochi what do you
3: think i would give it a bad
1: good okay so bad you enjoyed watching it but you didn't think it was a good movie
3: yeah exactly exactly and also like it's as as occasionally funny and curious and unintentionally funny i should say and curious as tupac's film career is i do find <laughs> it i do find it oddly compelling um so there is that but yeah like it's got you know it's it's regina king and it's it's tupac and like it unintentionally at least to me unintentionally funny at times performance and it's got janet with the box braids and like it's just it like it has all these it has a cultural impact that I think goes far beyond the like actual merits of the movie. And like, just based on that, if it were, if it were on TV, I would, I would catch it. And My Angelou's in it. like <laughs> Right. It does have
1: all these like interesting people in it. Like there's like a yeah. sort of, like a sort of haunted pleasure of like seeing these people on screen. Right. You know, it's sort of spooky to see Tupac like in a movie
3: yeah, like there was there was a clip there was a clip that was released shortly after Singleton's death of it was just like a like a random like behind the scenes or whatever. It was basically Yeah, they did a
1: poetic justice like 25th anniversary like documentary thing.
3: Yeah, so like it's it's this clip of him and Tupac in a foot race. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible. Which is absolutely hilarious, but like you think about it, and there's so there's so much like black culture in that like like eight second clip. It's ridiculous. Who won the foot race? That's amazing. Yeah, who won? Um, you know it. They they got they got too far down in the distance uh, for me to tell.
1: <laughs> it's like the it's like the video from High Flying Bird. Like you can't tell who won, but it's just exactly. that they did compete.
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh
1: man. <laughs> okay, I think we can. I can. We can think we can put this one to bed. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, can I? Since this is a Singleton Essentials episode, and, and we might want to explore super briefly the other parts of the filmography. Can I give a quick shout out to Higher Learning because I managed to catch that this mm. week, and I thought that movie was really good. It seems like directorially, like visually, like kind of a step up, um, and is it's definitely him exploring on a college campus, like. A lot of the ideas where these, you know, where Tupac and Janet just go to loggerheads and then the idea of either, you know, feminism or what Tupac is going through just kind of like dies there. Higher Learning Mm -hmm. is just like a whole dissertation of like 10 different characters, like figuring out what they all mean to each other, racially, sexually, um, culturally, in terms of class in this space. Um, I thought that was a super interesting movie that was worth checking out. So.
1: Yeah, it seems like John Singleton's career feels like you can see him learning how to make a movie and like what yeah. it is he wants to say. So especially like when he gets to Rosewood is like I think his his masterpiece. He really maybe. knows how
2: to direct a movie with Rosewood. He yeah. really knows how to yeah. direct it,
1: and then he can go on to just like make weird things and like make a little money. Yeah, like which like I think is the rest of fast, his career. Too curious. Yeah. Too Fast Too Furious, Shaft four Brothers, <laughs> Four Brothers Abduction. I was yeah.
2: maybe going to ask this at the end, but what what do we make of that career arc that he kind of stopped writing movies by like the end of the 90s and sort of became this person who took on studio projects? I mean, is that him? Is there is there a read on, you know, Hollywood in there? What do we think? Tochi, you can confirm,
1: writing's
3: fucking difficult. yeah no it's 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 tough it's tough um well what's what's interesting too like that makes me that makes me think a bit about what or it makes me wonder at what the the directorial and creative landscape was for black american creators in hollywood at around the time that like shaft happens right right so like you So, you know, you have Singleton, but like also too, like you have Spike Lee, you have all these other, like, you have these other like creators who are like visionaries in their own right, crafting, I guess you could call them their own sort of alternate visions of blackness in America. And on top of that too, you have like, you know, incredible actors like Denzel and what have you. Like you. Like, I think there's this... I mean, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but I wonder if part of Singleton's legacy is the opening of doors. Mm. And then once doors were sufficiently opened for like more and more and more talent to come through, he didn't necessarily have to have the pressure of being this like spokesperson. Because I feel like Boys in the Hood, it's easy to, to crown somebody as a spokesperson for Black America when you watch that movie and it like, look at it as this sort of thesis statement on like black urban America. And you're like, okay, he's the chosen one. He's our Baldwin. Like he's the only one that can speak for the, you know? And it's, I think this was a way of Singleton sort of clearing space for, for others.
2: Yeah. I think that's a great take. Um, I wonder if to like, when you mentioned Spike and I think that his movies, his very personal movies also kind of stop making money around this time. I think 25th Mm -hmm. Hour is like 2001, obviously. And then, you know, Bamboozled, people don't see. I mean, it's gotten great reappraisals in recent years. Uh, Summer, Mm -hmm. Sam, people don't see. Um, So, yeah, I don't know, like, what... We might have to look to a movie like Rosewood, which I was texting Noah earlier today, is such a, like, no-holds-barred in some way antidote to, like shitty uh like white savior period pieces that Mm -hmm. we get so often about this but people didn't go see this movie um yeah like it only made 13 million dollars which is a darn shame and i'm glad we can talk about it on the podcast but i yeah i wonder if like after that
3: people are like uh you want
2: to you want to direct too fast too furious you want to make a movie (laughs) with uh mark Wahlberg? um so yeah well what's
3: what's what's funny too is like just to to you know to jump around a little bit I feel like *Too Fast, Too Furious*. This was before the *Fast and Furious* franchise really took off, so it was still like a movie about like these dudes in LA who drive fast cars and steal VCRs out the backs of trucks. That's a good point. I mean, even James
1: Cameron directed the second *Alien*. So, yeah, (laughs) I think *Too Fast, Too Furious* is one of the better *Fast and Furious* movies. Oh yeah. No,
3: I, I absolutely wholeheartedly the agree. The
1: other ones don't really interrogate like race or class as much as Too Fast, Too Furious like won't let go of it. Which is yeah. singleton. Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: You don't think there's a lot to be read from them pulling that safe through the streets of Rio in like the <laughs> fifth one? <laughs> it's a it's in a, the streets uh, of
1: Rio. Yeah, it just says a lot about like Americans coming in and fucking <laughs> stealing money from
3: third world nations. It's, it's a critique of of western forms of capitalism. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um,
2: okay, let's talk about Rosewood, shall we guys? Um Yes. So this is 1997. It's his fourth film, but it's it's based um on a real life uh, tragedy, the, the, like the, the burning down of, of Rosewood in what, 1923?
1: Uh, yeah, like somewhere Like the Florida in there. Panhandle? Yeah. So yeah, we go into this town that, it, so it's the 1920s. Um, Civil War has been over for a little bit, not that much. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> um, and you have black people living with white people in this sort of, not quite harmony where you know the slightest thing could go wrong uh at any moment but it hasn't up until this moment until Ving Rhames as man comes to town literally a man comes to town and through no fault of his own sets off this chain of events that is essentially the crime and to kill a mockingbird but the absolute worst case scenario that unfolds, yeah,
2: yeah, it's brutal. Um, yeah,
3: so race war, full on. Yeah, like literal race war. In
0: 1923, the black town of Rosewood was a land
3: of opportunity. You've been drifting long, Mister Man. Seemed like forever. Colored well, folks own all the land around here, all the businesses too. Man, can make a new start
0: around here, make something of himself. Until the day, one woman's false accusation... Tell me the truth. Was a true our color dumbest to you? ...unleashed a fury against their town. If you find him... Well, you know what to do. There'd be some trouble around here, sir. To show sure use your help. There ain't no way in the world one man got enough bullets for all them crackers. And a search for the guilty... ...became a hunt. For the innocent. These are real folks dying. Women and children ain't done nothing wrong to no soul. Now colored folk just can't be running all the time. There comes a time when you got to stand up and defend your rights.
2: Rosewood is the is the black town and Sumner is the White Town, and they kind of like border on each other. And so you got Ving Rams, and then you have uh John Voigt who owns a store um which is he's sort of like the only white person who like appears to you know like have a have a storefront in in actual Rosewood um but they yeah they do have this kind of like uneasy uh relationship and then sort of out of the blue i don't know who that actor was but yeah just like a local woman is is beat up by her lover played by robert patrick yeah, the guy, you know he's right, yeah, up the to guy no from good. terminator
1: 2 comes into mm-hmm. town and really fucks everything up um, yep
2: and then, uh, with a with a, a definitely a basis in historical scapegoating is like, well, I, I, I presume she was like, well, somebody's my husband will see these bruises, and so she completely fabricates that that uh, a black rosewood resident um, beat her up. I don't even think she says that it was quote unquote Jesse Hunter who's there's this guy they're all looking for who allegedly is like escaped from a chain gang. Everybody just assumes. I want to talk more about like. what happens in this movie when people say jesse hunter over and over again um but but yeah and it just becomes this total total fucking that was the thing too because
1: initially she says i was just beat up i wasn't raped and then this immediately this woman's like "Did you hear that she was raped right Mm -hmm. yep yep Um, yeah it's just by saying the word it doesn't matter what the words are around the words it's mm -hmm. just by hearing the word and i mean amazingly later um we'll hear the sort of, I would say the iconic line of this movie um, where it's the N word is the same thing as guilty, Mm. but it's like people like they, they hear just these quick phrases. I mean, it's very like Trumpian or something, but like, or Fox news, but like every time they hear like whatever rape, Oh, I wasn't raped. It doesn't matter. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's storm the other town. Let's burn it to the ground. Yeah. And they can't hear that. It was maybe a white person. Like yeah, that. no. That like if it someone presenting them yeah. with the truth just yields mm. violence. Yeah,
2: and yet they all seem to know it too. Like, yeah, they whatever, all know it, and by the end means.
1: they were like, "Yeah, we shouldn't have done that," and then they move on with their lives.
2: Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um. So maybe we could pick up where we le- left off, real quick, which is Singleton as as a director. Uh, there are moments in this movie where he he does what I watching four of his movies this week kind of saw it to be maybe his like calling card, which he's, he's he awesome with these scenes where seemingly contrasting things are happening that like only deepen uh, both like either the irony or the reality of it. And it happens in this movie where, uh, where Sarah is on the porch of the, she's like the matriarch of this carrier uh, family called the carriers and Don Cheadle is, is her son. Um, and she's, she's saying like, I was the midwife to half of you, to the lynch mob as Singleton is showing they're just like grotesque, Rage and not hearing her of all the like The worst like white men Hearing this and it's just, it's a total Escalation of this thing that he's been doing Since the very beginning which is the um, Fishburne being like you gotta Listen you gotta check out ooh child and it's like this Really like and uplifting moment That is also like the end of Trey And his friends innocence as they get hauled off to Juvie he's great with these In scene contrasts and like Never more powerfully than Than in
1: this one and I don't know about you guys, but seeing Bruce McGill with such hate in his eyes was heartbreaking for me. Yeah, I, 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 I just—he just got to ride up his, some stairs uh, on a motorcycle and do that thing with his his neck from Animal House. Like, I don't want his, to see him like <laughs> shooting people for no reason. Oh. It was it was
3: very difficult. I know he's supposed to, he's supposed to be the sort of gruff, lovable supervisor and Ride Along and Ride Along too. Like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that You're was sort of like to be career the rehabilitation charge, finding
1: Tom Cruise in uh, collateral.
3: Yeah, exactly. So maybe maybe those later efforts are a bit of sort of a, you know, That was um, his apology tour. For... Exactly. Exactly. Even no, was but just I, the character. I think it I think it I think that goes to, you know, something that you were saying earlier, but that's a really powerful statement being made with this movie is that you know, almost none of the white people like Come out of this looking good, nope, like zero percent i would say i don 't know it 's very 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 it's so so it 's interesting too that singleton would do a movie about this because i think I think it 's very easy like even as even as a black american to to nurse certain stereotypes about the South right, and to have a sort of this sort of antipathy towards and contempt of. The South being this being in many ways, it, at least in the popular memory, the locus of so much um black pain, right? right. Even though even though you know slavery was you know a, a nationwide enterprise for a big chunk of this history of this country's history, and you know, northern segregation was was different only in color and shade from southern segregation. Like, you know, even though like structural and institutional racism and all the places it sort of came from are sort of nationwide I do think there is in the popular memory this idea that you know so much of what so much of the horror that has been enacted on African Americans came from the south right and so I think there was this interview where Singleton was asked about why he decided to tackle this subject and I think he said um that he had a very deep contempt for the South because he felt that so much of the horror and evil that black people had faced in this country is rooted there. So this movie, making this movie, was in some ways his way of dealing with that. And I just found that fascinating as a way of sort of... Well, isn't of con- there
1: like a deep sort of... Response almost that it feels like this movie is reacting to the critique of Boys in the Hood and Poetic Justice being like, Well, why are these people like this? And it's like, Yeah, I wonder why they're like this. Like, yeah, let's, exactly. Let's, well, you want to start from the beginning or the middle <laughs> or the end? <laughs> exactly. like, wait, let's do you do want it the receipts? All. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think that is what makes this movie so much more powerful, maybe, and maybe just like not watchable to a, a population who doesn't want to deal with it but it feels like because it is a singleton movie it means more
2: hmm. so toji were you saying that you find it curious or fascinating just that he like that there may have been like some catharsis in this or how he how
3: singleton like dealt with that no definitely like definitely 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 that you know i i think particularly if you're if you're in the if you're in the business of making myths, if you're a storyteller in this country, and if you're if you're a black storyteller, like that comes with all sorts of baggage, right? And part of it is like you know where you come from, where you're raised, and what have you, and what histories you feel obligated to tell, and and what sort of myths you grow up surrounded by, and it's interesting. Like I do think that it's this idea that a lot of people, at least in my experience and in conversations that I've had with others. That they have, you know, they'll they'll hear about something horrible happening to black people in the south, and they'll be like, "I just don't understand how black people can live in the south." You know, it's like that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which completely like leeches any and sort of any any sort of dignity and or agency from actual right. black people who are living well, it's in the Dunn south. What's done?
1: Right? line from this, where he's like, "This is my home. I was born and raised here. Nobody's exactly. going to tell
3: me to leave my home." Exactly. So I feel like that is a that. That line I feel like is the and maybe I like maybe I'm just like over psychoanalyzing uh singleton here, but I feel like that line is the terminus of a journey for him, Mm. like to get to the place where he realizes like that's a legitimate statement and reason for remaining in this place that's populated with these bloodthirsty people. That's fascinating
1: because that seems to be the
3: underlying question like maybe
1: coming out of white hollywood when you direct the critical eye to singleton to spike lee mm-hmm. you know to jordan peele is like why would people choose to live like this and mm-hmm. it's like this is this is our this is home like this yeah. is like that's you shouldn't even be sort of putting it into under, under that lens like that's like we don't do the same for white characters who come from like horror when they're portrayed in less than flattering ways. Mm-hmm. Like why not just like let these characters exist? And I think as you were saying earlier, Tochi, like just opening the door to that and just making the frame as solid as possible and being like we can have complicated, nuanced characters of all stripes here is mm-hmm. probably his biggest legacy.
3: Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Let's talk about white characters being less than flattering because there are a lot of them in this movie. Um, but I, I seriously mean I. To this movie's credit, I can't think of a movie that depicts like the failure of white morality from so many different angles, um, mm-hmm. just snowballing. joke intended down the hill. Um, <laughs> And I really want to think about too. Like I feel that Michael Rooker, who plays the sheriff, is like so oh, he gives
1: up on it the quickest.
2: <laughs> but it's he has like a misgiving about this that he completely that he like repeats like to no one. But then but completely becomes like a, a rabid like deranged like agent of this mob um, because he wants to be reelected sheriff, and it was just like this is a movie or this is a character that a lot of movies would sort of like go to greater lengths to humanize and here he is just sort of being analogous to like what like today's gop congressman people who like may not agree with like what the most like virulent of their base would say but definitely want those votes and like
3: will definitely be in the mob he's, he's the lindsey graham of the
1: lynch mob
3: yeah like, I think the, the flip side to what you were saying earlier is that they could have also made him a caricature, like an overly racist, like, you know, the, the, the type of character that, like, Walton Goggins often gets asked to play. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, Walton Goggins these, is always looking for that role. Yeah. You know, I, you know, shouts out to him. But, oh, man, that's that's, you know, he's he's the guy. He's the guy for that. Right. Uh, the but only like real it's, like. Yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, so like I think that it's interesting that they do capture this moment of that Singleton does capture this moment of ambivalence with him, where right. it's like it, it and it's it's indicative of so much of what's going on in the movie with these people that know better, yeah, but just they they can't help themselves or they like it's just they're overtaken by this animalistic uh, impulse to just like to just unleash their
1: race hatred. You were saying something interesting on text earlier, Chance, that you thought this movie treated racism like a disease.
2: Yeah, it's completely infectious. I mean, fueled by, uh, by you know, <laughs> still gin <laughs> um, and like a history of of, of scapegoating and just this... Just this, like, Trump card for for everything in these, like, uh, you know, angry white people's lives. It's so interesting and sad to watch how hard the black characters work in this movie in the first hour to communicate with these people, to exist, mm-hmm. to sometimes, like, scratch their back just so these towns can stay standing. Um, uh, but then it just doesn't fucking matter. Um, yeah. Because, like, there's it's like, well, uh, we're... You know, like true—the true, like uh, end of this disease—is just doesn't matter about all the hard sort of discursive work you put in. It's it's horrible to watch, but very smart.
1: This movie yeah. makes me really understand why you would start with like a Dawn of the Dead as the first sort of allegory about systemic racism Mm -hmm. because it has that sort of feel to it of like the zombies are coming, you know, something's they're going to burn. They just want to see, you know, us be killed. They have no other interest. And then in Rosewood sort of giving that mob a name for what it is, a lynch mob, uh, you know, makes this almost a horror movie. There's a ton of gore in this movie. People are getting things cut off.
3: Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. No, it's like, I mean, the, 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 you know, the the most recent apt analogy for some of what's going on here are the White Walkers from Game of Thrones. Like that's right. literally like it's this this sort of pathology. There's a sort of supernaturalness to it where it's like you know, the, they're they're captured by this curse and this impulse to literally just like wreak havoc in the most horrific way possible. But um yeah, no, I think that the, the idea of racism as a disease you know, isn't necessarily something that you, we'd seen a lot of before in film, uh, particularly in film by like popular directors and whatnot. And so, I think that is a bit of a flashpoint. Mm. I think with Singleton and his work. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, I think historically you see racism as these like little outbursts, and then like yeah. sort of they're swallowed up and like back into whatever, wherever they came yeah. from. They're but they're like really, personal like,
3: personal failings.
2: Like that's what it is. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's a rebellion that's easily put down by the good white folks. Um mm-hmm. and I get the sense yeah. that like John Voigt like wouldn't agree to be in this movie if he didn't get to do the salute to Ving Rams at the end. But even he, mm. like the would-be like Oscar Schindler of this movie, very, very late into the film, is still like taking money to hide people. And the Bradley character, he's like, Oh yeah, I could patch up your, your bullet wound, like if you would agree to give me like a leg up on purchasing the land I want. Um mm-hmm. Like he is the would-be like white savior here, who still just comes off very badly. I think.
1: Not super surprising that John Voight ends up like being a big Trump guy. If we're being real. (laughs) No. Yeah. But like, what kind of a person is Ian Rosewood is involved in the production? Probably sees it at the premiere and then goes, you know, in about uh, (laughs) fifteen years, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Twenty years. (laughs) Someone who doesn't get it. Um. Oh yeah. John, you are, you have, you have
3: multitudes, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's, I feel like what he would say to your, to your accusation is, um, why well, Noah, sir, I contain multitudes.
2: Right. I contain multitudes. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Ving Rhames? I think he's awesome in this movie.
1: In- he kicks yeah. a ton of ass in this movie.
2: Well, yeah. and even yeah. going beyond the expected ass kicking, I think that he's so great in the first half hour um, he's like goofy he has movie star quality that part where uh you know he wants to uh dance with scrappy and before he goes over there he kind of like slicks back his not hair <laughs> um <laughs> right. he's really he's really great um and i don't th- i mean you know we talked about how he spends the mission impossible movies sitting down so it was awesome mm-hmm. to get to see him play this character
1: yeah like i loved watching him like pick up these children you know and cut through two lines of defense just to throw them on the back of this train and then get on himself you know he is sad for too long vingrave and it's good to see him yes. and then jump onto a horse yeah you know it's unbelievable
2: all right guys what else do we have on rosewood anything else
1: I really liked how, like the production value of it, you know, and I think it's really aided by the John Williams score, which is very subtle, but like has that like Hollywood patina on it that this feels like it, it believes itself to be in like an awards caliber movie. Yes. Yes. Exactly that.
2: Yeah. Which is a shame. I mean, it, it, it easily could have been.
3: Like this, yeah. this would have, I feel like this would have won a Pulitzer if it were a book.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's got really nice visual um references the symbolism is like super interesting and it's it's i you, you'd you think more people would like this movie because ultimately it is like an action movie yeah. i mean it has a lot of violence in it and a lot of like hateful violence in it um which you know it makes it tough when we're especially looking at it within the context of our rating system because there are some great, like it, there's a great movie in here, but I don't know.
2: I think it is great. I think it's just like you can't fight the fact that a movie that hinges so much on on lynching is just like not watchable. You, I, but but that's just our that's just like the the starchy duality of our rating system. <laughs> I think it's really good. I was very impressed. Singleton is like borderline uh, painterly at this point as a director. That mm-hmm. shot of Uh, ving rames like pressed upon the burning hill at the end when he comes back on the horses is is unforgettable um and i saw that somebody on buzzfeed recently wrote that this was you know in in reconsidering his career and eulogizing him this is this is the film you
3: got to see so and i would oh hanif hanif right hanif abdul rakib that's right yeah 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 no that's a fantastic piece um titled this is the john singleton movie you really need to watch yeah, highly, highly, highly recommend reading that piece.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, so probably a good bad, but like only by virtue of you know our rating system. Tochi, what do you
1: think?
3: I I agree. I agree. Um, good bad.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good bad feels right. There's just too many people getting ears cut off uh, for this to be like a, a TNT movie. Right. Enjoyable Saturday afternoon for me. But glad yeah. I saw it. Clearly yes. a landmark movie that pe- more people need to know about.
2: Def. Um Well, gang, does anybody want to stump for 2000 Shaft before we get out of here? Anything else to say about this <laughs> filmography?
1: Isn't Christian Bale in Shaft?
2: Yeah, he plays yeah. a racist.
3: <laughs> it's, if you're a white person, you join the cast of a John Singleton movie at your own peril. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I remember that movie being. I really loved the original Shaft a mm-hmm. lot, so I like wasn't super into like a glossier. I just I just don't understand the point of adding gloss to, to the movie Shaft. Um, and I will probably feel the same about the new one. Um, what about Baby Boy Tochi? You mentioned that earlier. Is that worth seeing?
3: Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think that like I would I would call I would do that would be a very easy bad good. Okay. A very, very easy bad guy. Watchable, not great. Oh, it's got it's got Snoop Dogg in it. Yeah, it's got a be? very it's it's got a very, very just impressive Snoop Dogg performance. Um That's amazing. And speaking <laughs> of
2: constant cable movies, does anyone does anyone want to say anything about Four Brothers? I feel like that's weirdly like the movie out of his I Heard. The most about as like a white teenager in Omaha in two thousand five,
3: <laughs> but like yeah, it, it's like this. It's this wonderful. It's this wonderful. But like the more you think about it, the more it's just sort of the just like impossible. The premise is, but like or wild. The premise is. It's just this wonderful action movie. Yeah, starring Tyrese and Mark Wahlberg and like Andre 2000's in it Tremendous.
1: The, i just love that thing of like well who's the musician we're going to cast in this movie <laughs> yes like exactly like no other director would either get away with or even endeavor to do something like that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's so amazing
2: but always interesting results i think when you at least discussable when you give roles oh, to new and, and all those people absolutely
3: absolutely i just i like i think i think four brothers is a very charming movie
2: yeah yeah yeah
3: I think it's a very charming crime thriller
2: <laughs> with a lot of charming <laughs>
3: violence. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly.
2: Um, okay, folks. Well, I think we are we're about good here. Um, Toshi, would you like to make Noah plug your work, or would you like to do it yourself?
3: Uh, okay. So so I uh, Toshi and Yobuchi am one half. Uh, of the the inner cities podcast, it's me and my boy Azel Williams. We uh, short story. We met at film school and became very, very, very fast friends. He's a playwright, incredible playwright and TV writer out west. We started the podcast immediately in the aftermath of the 2016 election because we were having increasingly sort of heated but also very involved phone calls about what the fuck just happened. And they were also very funny, and so he came up with a brilliant idea that we should start recording these phone calls, hence The Inner Cities was born. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, I believe, um, and on Zell's website, azellwill.com. Zell with two L's all right and tochi
1: because i'm your literary agent i have to insist that you plug your books
3: (laughs) oh yeah those (laughs) i i am in addition to a a podcaster an amateur film critic a a novelist a writer um professional
1: novelist not amateur
3: (laughs) um i my my First book, uh, Beast Made of Night, a young adult fantasy saga about a boy with tattoos who consumes the sins of other people, um, came out in October of 2017, available in paperback everywhere books are sold. Um, its sequel, Crown of Thunder, will probably be available in paperback sometime this year. Um... But is available, hardcover, audiobook, uh, ebook, um, everywhere books are sold, and my upcoming novel uh, in October of 2019, War Girls, which is a futuristic retelling of the Nigerian Civil War, will be dropping. And then, as if that's not enough, January 2020, uh, I will be dropping my adult debut, a novella entitled Riot Baby, that actually brushes up against some of what we discussed about Boys in the Hood.
1: Yeah, there's definitely, like, a, a very Boys in the hood this <laughs> to Riot Baby, which is great. Um, yeah, and then, so Toshi will be at, if you're in New York, Tochi will be at the Javits mm-hmm. Center for Bea and BookCon, too. So, come check us out. Come check him out.
3: Yeah, come through. Come through.
2: Expertly done, you two. Um, <laughs> I, this was so much fun. What a good time exploring um, the work of of John Singleton uh RIP and uh yeah uh tochi such a pleasure thanks for doing this
3: oh a pleasure and an honor this was this was maybe the best way i could have imagined to spend my wednesday evening
2: perfect uh and no incredible um, you know, not su- not such an event between you and I, but uh,
1: <laughs> but but good to see you and talk to you as always. Next week we're going to watch the second and third uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movies. No. So buckle up! <laughs> wow,
2: I would rather wow. I would rather throw myself. No, we're, myself we're not going to do that. Off of <laughs> pick something better. <laughs> All right. Um, All right please do like and subscribe and, and give some love to our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network and you can check out berealpodcast.com for all of our old shows and I think that's enough plugs for one episode. I bid you all do watch some John Singleton.
0: That built-in foundation of racism says that if black people get together you know in any way on any mental level you know then they they don't think that it's it, it, that it, it will serve the positive good of everyone. Yeah but isn't that because White people are frightened of black people. They don't have anything to fear from, from, from black people who want, who want to organize and be unified. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. What you do have to fear is if you don't allow people to or be organized and unified, then you, 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 you those, that energy that they have is going to be displaced in other wings. You know, if you're not going to allow me to rise and, and do something positive, you know, then you're going down with me. You see, if I don't have any sense of, of, the, of the future and any hope, why in the hell am I going to want you to have any future and hope? Hell of an ambition to try and change the world with a movie. Well, you know, the, the media is the most powerful thing that we have now.